0: it is locked on nba monday edition local experts biggest stories david lock in for josh lloyd we're going to go to two of the most unknown teams small markets indiana and sacramento and find out and make sense of an off season we didn't quite understand and that's not getting a lot of pub and understand where those franchises sit it's all continuing there is no off season for locked on nba we're still daily we're still here for you it's coming up now part of the locked on podcast network Locked on NBA. David Lock in for Josh Lloyd again for a Monday. Local experts on the Biggest Stories edition. Theme this one a little bit. Big picture. As most of the moves are done and what's taking place. Let's you listen to all the commentators across the country talk about certain teams. And there's certain teams they get to. And they kind of pause. I don't think they quite grasp what really happened. And one of those is the Indiana Pacers. The Sacramento Kings or another. We'll talk with Matt George of Lockdown Kings coming up. But let's start with Tony East of Locked On Pacers. And, Tony, when we look at his offseason, lots of changes. I mean, if we go back to the opening day of last year, the starting lineup is Collison, Oladipo, Bogdanovich, Thaddeus Young, and Miles Turner, right? Yep. Four of the five starters on this Indiana team will be different than they were Uh, on opening day. I think three of the five will be different than they were on closing day. So let me back up. What do you think the goal of Kevin Pritchard and the front office was going into this offseason?
1: I think they uh, wanted to maximize their money around retaining the guys that they actually wanted to keep, which was uh, Bojan Bogdanovic was probably the first guy they wanted to keep, and then Thaddeus Young was second, and everybody else Was kind of like okay, you know, if they get too much money, that's fine. They're gone, uh, but we'll see what happens. And then Boyan got the fourth year from the Jazz and uh, has spoken many times highly of their roster since the move. And as soon as he bolted, all of a sudden they're they're looking around like, oh wow, like everyone is gone, and so they had to just pick up the pieces around the amount of space they had. Now, thankfully. With so many guys going out the door, they had a lot of space and flexibility to make the moves. But I think the original goal was to keep the better part of the core from last year and build around that. And as soon as uh, Boyan and Thad signed with new teams, they just immediately pivoted to their grandmaster plan that you are now seeing. So you really think
0: this was a pivot? Ideally, they th- they were trying to bring maybe upgrade their point guard
1: position and bring Boyan back, and then I do. Uh, assistant GM Peter Dinwiddie he does all the cap crunching and all that stuff he did an interview with a new station here in Indy where he said you know okay they, they get the call that Boyan's going to Utah all of a sudden they're like filing through plan A plan B plan C of what they do in that instance so uh, I do think he was a part of the plans to keep it first but uh, the reporting says Jazz offered an extra year and then there you go you pivot away to the next thing
0: alright so then the pivot is Malcolm Brogdon and what else
1: Brogdon uh, to come in and be anybody one through three to help TJ Warren on that draft night trade. Uh, Jeremy Lamb to fill in Vic's spot and be your uh, microwave scorer off the bench. TJ McConnell as your new uh, backup point guard, unless Aaron Holiday really thrives. Um, and then drafting Goga to be your backup center because Sabonis moves into the starting lineup. So, so lots of moves. What I think doesn't
0: make a lot of sense from our standpoint – what do you think the original goal was with TJ Warren or was it just a really good player they're going to grab? And it's just a talent grab.
1: I think when the Suns called and said, we'll give you 32 and Warren, I think that's just too good to pass up, right? Like he's only making 10 million. He's not, he's a fine player. His contract is good for the next three years. Even if you keep Boyan, you can have Warren be your backup uh, at any forward spot. You know, he's better than McDermott. He can play the four. He's just a really good score. They need that kind of instant offense and you get The second best pick in the second round it's two picks away from the first round i think you have to swoop in and take that they were able to flip that pick for three second rounders in the future i think that that offer just blew them over so much that they had to take it regardless of what the plan was it only ate in you know they had 43 million in cap space before they made that trade they still had i mean they're not going to get a max player in indiana but they still had enough space to do everything they wanted even if they brought him in i think the offer was just so good
0: Alright, so to review, Thaddeus Young leaving was acceptable. Bojan, they had their limits. It got pushed beyond that. TJ Warren, just a piece that's worth picking up is the way you see those three working together. Because the oh. national media tried to tie these all together in different ways.
1: Yeah, I think Thad, they genuinely didn't want back just because it seems like... So, Well, I, let me rephrase that. I think they would like Thad back at the right price because of his veteran leadership, but I think Thad leaving ultimately came down to like roll because they talked uh, also offseason about trying to get Sabonis more minutes, right? And that the only natural way to to get him into the starting lineup is to start him in lieu of Thaddeus Young. So I think there was some uh, pushback from both sides there on, okay, Thad, like if you come back, you're going to be making probably less money and you're not going to start anymore. And that was that. So so as soon as Sabonis moved into the starting lineup, uh, that kind of changed the plans with Thad. And then, yeah, you nailed the. The reasoning for Boyan leaving, and they just had to to fill in the pieces around that. And Warren was came in beforehand, so uh, that was one of them. And then the rest came on G- July first.
0: So we look ahead. The biggest question is when do we see Victor
1: Oladipo again? Yeah, the reporting around here is kind of interesting because you look at Tony Parker, right? He's the last guy who had this got hurt uh, early in the playoffs in 2017. Was back by November of that year. So in my head, I th- you know everybody thought, oh, seven eight months, okay, no problem. Well. Uh, he got hurt in January, Victor did, and then now the reporting is that the team would be happy to have him back by December or next January, um, and every team staffer who's spoken on it, you know, in Summer League they always interview uh, people on the sidelines and then on radio or whatever, uh, they're all over the place, has said, yeah, they're, you know, that that seems like about what you'd hear, uh, about what they're hearing too, about what they expect, and they have to, I think they're going to exercise caution with him this season anyway, uh, there's no point of rushing him back. We just saw the load management era kind of take off with Kawhi Leonard. Not that uh, that was an anomaly or we know that that's the best thing, but clearly health is going to be a factor for their franchise icon, and I think they're going to be slow with it. Kevin Pritchard has said as much that they're going to ease him back in. You know, I don't, I don't think when he comes back, he'll play every day anyway. So I think uh, on the more conservative side, I think he's going to miss probably the first 30 to 35 games of the season.
0: Tony East locked on Pacers, local expert on the biggest stories looking at the Pacers. So now the Pacers come out with Brogdon, Oladipo slash maybe Justin, uh, holiday as your shooting guard, TJ Warren, Sabonis and Turner. Is that the new five? Am I forgetting someone in this mix?
1: Yeah. Jeremy lamb. Uh, it's probably going to start at the two, the newly acquired Jeremy lamb will probably until Victor comes back, be the starting at the two.
0: And, Let's take these two teams. Is this team – let's go with Victor coming back and being healthy and have, being available for a playoff run and being Victor. Is this a better team than a year ago? Is this, what do you, how do you view it?
1: Uh, I, I, I don't want to give like a concrete answer, but that's not good podcasting, right? But um, you know, it all kind of hinges on this this experiment they're doing with their big men, right? Because uh, I think Brogdon is about the best fit with Victor that you could have as a backcourt partner that isn't a star. Uh, so I think those two are going to work very well together. I think Warren and Lamb could do enough damage, just scores, uh, whatever in whatever other wing spot they come into. So the question mark is Turner and Sabonis together. You know, last year they were a good defensive duo. Um, the team was good on defense with them on the court, but the offense was bad. Uh, they, you know, they, they're not really good at figuring out how to space the floor out together. It seems intuitive, like as a fan. Okay, one can shoot, one can't. You know, it feels like you should know where to put them, but it's just not, they're not really used to playing with another big man, so they, they often get in each other's way. Uh, if that duo can take off, and thus the starting five can take off, they have a strong eight-man rotation all of a sudden, even nine if uh, Justin Holiday can sneak in there for a few minutes at the back end, then yeah, you're looking at a good team who can be good in the playoffs, but if that duo doesn't work, and maybe they could make a trade, but given the current roster, I think if that duo doesn't work, they're kind of limited in what their ceiling could be. It's interesting. The, that is the, I mean,
0: if they were willing to let Thaddeus Young go, that, that's that been the intention. The intention yep. sounds to me like we got to find out whether these
1: two work together. I think so, too, because the, the, I think they're both too good to be backups, and I think they both know that. I think their agents both know that. I think the team knows that. And they don't want to just get rid of them because they have to get rid of them. You know, you don't want to get rid of a good player just because you don't have the role for them. That's unfair to everybody you want to try to make your good players all work together. And if it does work, that's awesome. All of a sudden, you're one of the five teams in the league that are going with this awesome two big rumble bumble that can come out of the, you know, the Warriors era ends. Now, all of a sudden, you know, maybe something a little different begins. And if it works, that's great. They still have Victor. They'll have, you know, a nice one two punch in the front court. If it doesn't work, at least you're doing it now, figuring it out. Kind of, kind of. It's not a wasted season, but like it's it's just going to be different with your star missing almost half the year. Uh, it's a good chance to to see how that experiment can work and if it does or does not.
0: Tony East, final question for you: Philly, Milwaukee, Boston. I think all probably superior to the Pacers. Then what? Yep.
1: Uh, the the discussion we had on our show last two weeks ago was uh the next year after the three teams that you've just named brooklyn this year and next year obviously when katie's back they're gonna be awesome but this year brooklyn miami indiana and toronto all four through seven and if detroit stays healthy they could make this group but they never stay healthy so it seems like uh that those four will be in that group uh you know if Kyrie stays healthy and that nets team works they'll probably be better by the end of the year Uh, If the Raptors keep all their vets and don't trade them away, they'll probably end up better by the end of the year. Uh, So Miami and them, I think, are are pretty neck and neck. They're probably about the sixth seed if every single player in the Eastern Conference stays healthy the whole season. Obviously, that's not going to happen, but uh, I can't predict that. So I think the three you said plus Brooklyn-Toronto would be the the five that I would put ahead of them. Tony East,
0: locked on Pacers, keep up the great work. Thanks very much for being the local expert on the biggest stories.
1: Thank you for having me, David. I appreciate it.
0: The second stop on our themed local experts' biggest story edition of Locked On NBA is the Sacramento Kings. As we look at teams that made moves, and I'm not sure everyone quite understands what they were, so we go to the local experts. Matt George hosts Locked On Kings for us, does a very nice job on the Locked On Podcast Network. And so, Matt, let me start off with just the general philosophy of the Kings. It, they're, they're at a really interesting place. They make this playoff run. And they're beginning to have their core pieces. So they have De'Aaron Fox. They have Buddy Heald. They have Marvin Bagley. I don't know how they fare about Giles. But they have these pieces. Was the first thing for Vlade Divac and the offseason to further the development of these guys? Was it to put a team around them? Or was it something else entirely for the goals of this front office as they move, tried to move the Kings forward?
2: The top priority for the Kings, and David, thank you for having me on, uh, the top priority going into this offseason, no matter what, for Vlad Divac was to retain Harrison Barnes. When they uh, made the move to trade for Harrison Barnes just before the deadline last season, they brought him in believing wholeheartedly that he was the long-term solution at the small four position, adding him to the core of the names that you listed, Fox, Bad- uh, Bagley, and Buddy Heald. That core is where the Kings and Vlade Divas in this current front office have put all of their faith into, meaning they were looking at free agency and looking to bring in complementary pieces that could help raise this young core with their hopeful continued development as well to that next level to breach the playoffs. The plan and the center has always been, particularly Darren Fox and Marvin Bagley, bringing back um uh, Buddy Heald on the contract I know is in the works right now, bringing back Harrison Barnes and then bringing in complementary pieces like Ariza, like Dwayne Dedman, was uh, following the plan almost to a T based off of what we've heard now after the fact. Do
0: they have data? Do they have any reason to believe that that lineup with Harrison Barnes is as good as they believe it to be?
2: Uh. If I if they did, it wouldn't be right in front of me, but I I assume that they do. Uh they do know defensively, and again, I don't have the exact statistic in front of me, so I apologize about that. Uh, but statistically the Kings went perimeter defensive wise. They went from one of the worst teams in the league in basically the first two thirds of the season to upper echelon of the league. I should top fifteen, certainly not top ten, top five or anything like that. Uh, but upper echelon of the league in the top half in perimeter defense once Harrison Barnes came along. Now they also started losing more games with Harrison Barnes than they did at the beginning of the season. So it's a little bit of give and take. I don't put that on Harrison Barnes specifically. I put that on the fact that the Kings, one, are young and two, they just quite frankly ran out of gas in the time where you're supposed to really uh, pick it up a notch. So statistically, Harrison Barnes has that in his favor. Also, he passed the eye test in terms of a good fit uh, with what the Kings are wanting and are trying to do. Uh, But there's certainly a gamble and roll the dice element to it all.
0: It's interesting. I just ran the numbers on cleaning the glass because I had not it was a different perspective. It's what the point of the local experts are uh, and why we on the Lockdown Podcast Network bring a different perspective. I had not heard that. I didn't realize that they really believed in Harrison Barnes at that level. So I just ran some numbers for you. I think they're interesting. Um, when they had Fox, healed and Barnes on the floor together for almost 1,000 possessions, they were plus 2.7 overall, which puts them in the 70th percentile. They are in the 74th percentile offensively and the 55th percentile defensively. What's interesting about that is that if you add Bagley into the mix, and, and that's, this is not surprising, he was a rookie, the, the numbers get a little less good. Then they drop yeah. to about even, and they're 68th offensively and 37th defensively. No surprise um, no surprise there. One of the key things what we're saying here is they obviously decided that Willie Cauley-Stein was not a part of their core. What, what was the thought process there? and how do they, Or do they see Bagley eventually dropping into that five spot at all?
2: Um, I know they have given Marvin Bagley some look at the five, and there's many in Sacramento that believe his true position will end up being the five, especially when they try and implement Harry Giles into the mix. Quick side note to add to that, though, David, is the fact that uh, the Kings do, long-term, they do believe Harry Giles is a starter and will be the final piece of their starting lineup, eventually replacing Dwayne Dedman. That's why they signed him to a maximum three-year deal with a third-year partially guaranteed. They have full faith in Harry Giles, assuming that starting center or starting power forward uh, position. But as for Willie Cauley-Stein, the inconsistency was just the biggest frustration with him and a lot of fans turned on him pretty quickly. I was one with a little more patience for Willie Colleystein. He gave us more than we expected overall as an offensive player, but the things you drafted Willie Colleystein stein for, the things you pay Willie Colleystein stein for, which is athleticism, rebounding, and, and protecting the rim, he just did not do on a consistent basis. Uh, and the Kings really, I would say, midway through the season, made the decision uh, that he was not going to be around long-term, bringing in Dwayne Dedman, adds shooting that Willie Colleystein stein doesn't necessarily do. And maybe he's not as gifted offensively as Willie is, but a lot more consistent as a rebounder, hopefully a lot more consistent consistent as a shot blocker. And that fit alongside the young core is ultimately what uh, made the Kings pull the trigger.
0: They made an interesting move. Also Dave Yeager out with all that turmoil and Luke Walton in, how much are they trying mm-hmm. to build a team to fit a style? Luke Walton wants to play.
2: Uh, the thing that we've been told from the very beginning, and, and they emphasized this during Luke Walton's introductory press conference uh, was the fact that Luke and Vlade are on the exact same page with how this team is supposed to be ran, how uh, the players and what type of pieces they're looking to bring in and how this team is su- uh, specifically supposed to play. And the, they emphasized that so much that it made all of us come to the conclusion that the reason why they ended up moving on from Dave, Dave Yeager was not for a, a lack of, of success. I would say actually Dave Yeager's time here in Sacramento was a success in terms of developing players. But we know of the turmoil between Dave Yeager and uh, Brandon Williams, who was an uh, assistant uh, general manager who is no longer here. Uh, and we also know of Dave Yeager's reputation of, of being a, you build a team, but once I'm the coach, I make the decisions and I decide uh, what goes with my rotations, with my minutes and how we play and things like that. Uh, hiring Luke Walton theoretically removes all those problems. And according to Vlade and Luke, puts the Kings completely on the same page. Uh, Luke is excited to, uh, at least he says, excited to play and continue the fast-paced style that Jaeger implemented with just more consistent perimeter defense uh, and uh, hopefully some uh, more three-point shooting, a higher three-point shooting volume, especially for guys like Buddy Heald.
0: He is the voice of Lockdown Kings, Matt George. Biggest stories, local experts here on the Lockdown Podcast Network. Buddy Heald, you mentioned the three-point shooting I mean, this is one of the elite catch-and-shoot three-point shooters in the NBA. I actually think probably still one of the most undervalued players. What, how big a piece did they—you talked about Marvin Bagley and De'Aaron Fox. Like, where does Heald yeah. fit for them?
2: If he, I mean, he's got to be top three with them. Uh, they're hoping that with Barnes and then eventually with Giles, that's a top five that's completely cemented. Uh, but Buddy Heald right now to me is the, the go to number one essential score, uh, for the Kings. They're hoping De'Aaron Fox can maybe take over that role, but without Buddy Heald last year, the Kings aren't winning 20 games. I mean, they leaned on him so heavily. Uh, offensively we do know extension conversation is in the works and the kings are not going to shy away from paying him the money he, they both think he's worth and that will secure him uh, long term looking around maybe four years 110 million is the number that's uh, been whispered out there but buddy yield is essential uh, for the success of this king's team luke walton mentioned specifically excited uh, he's excited to have uh, buddy on his roster uh, buddy healed for as good of a three-point shooter that he was he took high volumes of threes when he wanted to, but offensively it didn't feel like the Kings and Dave Yeager's system drew up plays and opportunities for him. They kind of allowed the offense to move kind of more free-flowing, which is an area where I'm interested to see Uh, If Luke Walton does maybe try and run him off more off-ball screens, give him more looks and and get defense to get away from him a little bit so we can really cash in on that catch-and-shoot ability. Um, I know Luke Walton is definitely interested uh, in doing something like that. Buddy Heald, if the Kings are going to be a playoff team, it's majorly going to be on the back of Buddy Heald.
0: Let me be honest with you, though, about some of these moves that I don't quite get. So I like Corey yep. Joseph as a backup point guard, and I think backup point guards should make somewhere between like two and four million a year, not thirteen. I like Dwayne Dedmon as a backup center, and I think backup centers should make somewhere between two and five million a year, not thirteen. I like Trevor Ariza as a veteran presence, but thirteen again? Like, I'm not sure I understand the money spent. On, them, on this group of guys that they've built around their core, I get the philosophy, hey, we don't want anyone who's going to take their minutes. We want to let them develop. I think that's the right thing. I don't quite get the dollar figures, and I don't quite understand if I think that's really going to increase the win total for them.
2: The two kind of unwritten rules with with Sacramento and free agency and really with Vlade Divas specifically is one, and this is universal, that you always have to overpay pay to bring talent to Sacramento. That's no matter what. Now, that's usually if you're talking about kind of middle of the road or, or maybe high-end free agents. So I understand your gripe with what are you doing paying Trevor Ariza, who's well over the hump of his career, uh, that kind of money. Uh, the other kind of M.O. of this King's front office is partially guaranteed contracts to so where they're not afraid to throw a lot of money at you in the first year or two. But on that third year, uh, the the salary is significantly less and that gives them the option to cut away from it. And suddenly uh, the contract is about four or five million dollars less. Uh, than what it was initially offered. Also, Vlani Divac is notoriously stubborn, both in a good and bad way. Vlani has been determined to do things his way. If he values a player, he doesn't care what their value is, according to other teams, analysts, scouts. I mean, and he's shown that in the draft time and time again. He went out and got Justin James with the 40th overall pick when there were much better, much more um, well-known pieces available. And when Vlade was asked about that in his post-draft press conference, he said, well, they were on our board and we valued him and we liked him. They do things their own way, and that's gotten him in a lot of trouble at times. But also, based off of his recent couple of years of success or, or continued development, fans are starting to buy into that and give him a little slack in that area. That's kind of more where I lane, but some of the money totals and dollar signs thrown at certain prospects were certainly interesting. I also will tell you, you said you, you, Dwayne Dedman is a nice backup center. I'm sure they're hoping Dedman will be a backup center eventually, uh, but they're looking to give him probably some pretty significant starting center minutes at least at the start of next season.
0: And, he, you know, he spreads the floor well um, and does some things. And I like Rashawn Holmes, who they signed as well. It's worth noting. That's a, that's, a, that's, you know, that's a nice backup center kind of energy, plays the game well, played it well in Phoenix, played it hard in a bad situation in Phoenix. Last year was 39 wins, knocking on the door of the playoffs, and then we see Stage 2 coming here. What's your guess 12 months from now? How many wins do you think they're coming off of? And what do you think we'll be talking about as the starting five a year from now?
2: Uh, starting five a year from now, if, if I'm being honest, I, I understand the hype in Harry Giles, and I'm really excited for him. I hopefully I hope he can reach that potential, uh, but I don't know if he's shown the – he hasn't shown enough for me to give faith that he will get into that position. So starting five by the end of the season, barring trades, which I don't think the Kings are going to get too wild to the trade deadline, it's going to be De'Aaron Fox, uh, Buddy Heald, um, uh, uh, Harrison Barnes, Marvin Bagley at the four, and Dwayne Dedman at the five. I think that lineup will stay pretty consistent through the majority of the year. The thing about this is is the Western Conference is super crazy. Uh, when Vladi brought Luke Walton in, he essentially declared that it was, for them, playoffs or bust. It's not necessarily playoffs or bust for me because they're still so young and have contractual control over their, uh, their young players and their young core, so they don't necessarily have to go all out for the playoffs, and if they miss, it's a complete failure. But they do have to surpass 39 wins. To me, the target is around 45-46, but what's crazy is I don't even know if that gets you into the playoffs in the Western Conference this year. My prediction is that they do make it. Maybe it's an 8th seed, maybe it's a 7th seed competing with the Spurs, the Warriors down there. Uh, I don't know. Time will tell, uh, but they absolutely 100% have to uh, break 39 wins or it's a failure of a season.
0: It's crazy. I mean, I think there's only two teams in the Western Conference I know they're better than. I'm not saying that they're not better than other teams, but I, I'm, I'm fairly certain that they're better than the Grizzlies and the Suns. Uh, and, then right. I, and then I don't know. Like, then I just don't know. Like, are they better than the Thunder? I don't know. Are they better than the Timberwolves? Okay. I don't know.
2: Uh, and a lot of it is going to lead on the continued development of the young core, right? And I, honestly, if the Kings are going to be a playoff team, De'Aaron Fox has to be either an all-star or a significant all-star snub, like what Damian Lillard was a couple of years ago, where you believe he's an all-star, but he just didn't get in because of fan voting. That's really what's going to have to take place. I do believe the Kings are better than the Oklahoma City Thunder, but I think you can make an argument for Dallas over them. You can make an argument. The the Timberwolves over them, depending upon how they play? A lot is up in the air, but there's more excitement in Sacramento and more hope for a playoff run than there's been since 2006.
0: Well, let's just hope that 538's early season proje- projections on their number system are not accurate that had Sacramento's 15th in the West. Matt George, yeah, thank you happy. very much for the time. appreciate the local experts on the Biggest Stories explaining what the Kings did in the offseason and giving us some insight. Appreciate it very much.
2: Thank you very much. It's a pleasure.